And now we're going to have Nancy come up and uh, do some talking. Let's just uh, bow in a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for the opportunity we have to be together to worship you. We pray that as you would quiet our hearts and minds, that your spirit would quicken us to hear what you would say to us through your word this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Normally, I would... Can you all hear me? I have a pretty loud voice, but anyhow. (laughs) It's a school teacher's voice. Normally, I would speak on the gospel passage, but Paul's epistle has drawn my attention this time, and I especially want us to look at verse 18, where Paul writes, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. First, what is the message of the cross? Well, briefly, it's the gospel. Paul clearly preached that by dying on the cross, Jesus bore the penalty for our sin and opened the way for us to be forgiven and reconciled to God. And for anyone raised in the church, this is very familiar territory. In fact, the danger is that it is so familiar that we may take it for granted. But for anyone not raised in the church or not exposed to Christian teaching, the significance of Jesus' death on the cross is just really hard to understand. And as Paul says, to many people it just seems foolish. Now Paul wrote this epistle to the church in Corinth, which was in Greece. And the Greeks prized rhetorical eloquence and debating human philosophies. So when Greek scholars heard Paul preach in Athens, some of them judged his message as being too simplistic or too strange and far-fetched to be believable. And many people in the world today would share that view. As most of you probably know, I served as a missionary in Thailand for a few years. Over 90% of Thai people adhere to Buddhism. Now, Buddhism has no concept of a supreme or personal God. And the Buddha certainly never claimed to be God. In place of God, they believe in karma, an impersonal cosmic force that keeps track of the good and the bad that people do and rewards them accordingly. The thought is that if you do good, you receive good. If you do bad, you receive bad. Not in a final day of judgment at the end of time, but in the next cycle of reincarnation. And their belief in karma precludes a belief in a savior because it teaches them that nobody can save you. You must save yourself by making merit. 
In other words, by doing good things to outweigh all the bad things you do. So for the Buddhist, the cross is a big hurdle to believing in Jesus. In their understanding, the fact that Jesus died such an awful death is proof that he must have been a very bad person in his previous life. Now, one way to help a Buddhist understand the gospel is to point out that Jesus did not die for his own bad deeds, but for all the bad deeds of all the people who have ever lived. Well, I'm not actually trying to do a seminar on Buddhism this morning, okay? But the typical Buddhist, it just struck me that the typical Buddhist is an example of Paul's words about the cross being foolishness to some people. And sadly, the fact is that here in Canada, as church attendance continues to decline, there are more and more people who have no idea who Jesus is or why he died. And to many, Jesus is nothing more than a swear word. Now Paul points out that one's understanding of Jesus and his death on the cross divides people into two categories. Those who are perishing and those who are being saved. Ultimately, everyone falls into one or the other category. The Bible makes it clear that there are only two destinies. And we might recall Jesus' words about choosing the narrow way. In Matthew 7, he says, Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the road that leads to destruction. And many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. And we might very well wonder why only a few find it. And I suppose there are many reasons. Maybe they're not looking for it. They're not looking for the truth, or are looking in all the wrong places. Or perhaps nobody has ever told them about Jesus. And we should also remember that we have a spiritual enemy. Satan opposes God's kingdom in every and any way that he can. And in Paul's second letter to the Corinthians, he explains it this way. He says, the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ who is the image of God. But thankfully, the light of the gospel still shines in the world, as we've been singing. And God's kingdom is still expanding. So while non-Christians may dismiss the death of Christ as foolishness, or at least as irrelevant to them, for those of us who do believe in Jesus, his death on the cross is foundational to our belief in him as Savior. He did not just come into the world to be our teacher or example. He came to be our Savior.
Now, Paul says a couple of things in this verse that bear closer attention. He says, to us who are being saved. Being saved indicates that salvation is an ongoing process. It's not just about going to heaven when we die. It's also about the life that we live here and now. When we believe in Jesus, we are being saved day by day. We're being saved from ourselves, (laughs) from our own bad habits, from our own agendas and ambitions, and being saved from the power of sin in our lives. Salvation involves a process of being changed from the inside out as we allow God to work in our lives. Paul explains it in his letter to the Romans like this. He says, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. The other thing that Paul says in verse 18 is that to those who are being saved, the message of the cross is the power of God. Now, the cross certainly speaks to us about the justice of God. God could not simply overlook sin and turn the other way. Sin is an offense that separates us from our holy God. And the penalty for sin is death. Now the cross also speaks, of course, about the love of God. He loved us so much that he gave his son to die for us. And as Paul points out here, the cross is also about the power of God. On the surface, Jesus' death on the cross looks like a colossal failure. He died an agonizing death and was laid in the tomb. But as we know, that was not the end of the story. Then came his resurrection. You know, a dead Savior gets us nowhere. But God demonstrated his power by raising Christ from the dead. And that same power that raised Christ from the dead, is at work in our lives through his Holy Spirit. This is the hope that we have in Christ. Hope not just that one day we get to go to heaven, but the hope that God offers us in his power to change us on a daily basis. We are broken people living in a broken world. So it's not surprising that we have problems. Mine may be different than yours, but we all have struggles, okay? Personal problems, money problems, family problems, bad habits we can't seem to break. We may be struggling with grief or loneliness or fear or maybe health problems. You know, the list can go on and on and on. But the good news is that God does not leave us to muddle through this life as best we can. 
he invites us to ask him for the help to meet whatever problems we face. So how then do we experience God's life-changing power? I don't think there's any set formula for this, okay? But I do think it starts with a heart that is ready to surrender to the Lord. Sometimes it takes us getting to the end of our rope before we will truly surrender everything to God and freely admit that we need him and we want him to work in our lives. Not just to deliver us from our problems, but to change us to be more like Jesus and to use us to bless others and to give us a part to play in extending his kingdom in our world. Even though there is no do-it-yourself guide for this, we do have a guide. We have God's written word and we have the Holy Spirit. And we can learn to cooperate with the Holy Spirit's work in our lives. I think an essential part of this is to form a daily habit of reading the Bible and spending time in God's presence, offering him thanks and praise, as well as bringing our concerns and problems to him in prayer. You know, it's a, it's a good thing that we come to church every Sunday. But there's more to it than coming to church. There's learning to walk with the Lord throughout the week. And it doesn't have to take a long time. Maybe just a few minutes a day reading the Bible and praying. You know, we seem to find time for the things we really want to do. And I'm sure many of us already do this. But if you have yet to make a habit of reading the Bible and praying each day, I urge you to start. One of the great things about the Anglican tradition is the emphasis on scripture reading. And you can find a list of daily readings in the Revised Common Lectionary. There's a link on our website. Or if you have a book of common prayer, it's in the front of the book. There are readings for every day. And maybe you don't have time to read every passage. That's okay. But I would say start with the gospel passages. Get to know Jesus better by reading about his life and ministry. And asking the Holy Spirit to give you understanding of what you read. Now, we all have ups and downs in our lives, so there may be times when our spiritual lives are at a low ebb. And that's the time to ask God to stir our hearts, to hunger to know him in a deeper way. Of course, reading the Bible and praying does not mean that all of our problems will disappear or get solved overnight. No. God does not promise us an easy life. But he does promise to be with us through good times and bad. So rather than allowing our struggles to overwhelm us, make us drift away from God, maybe make us give up on life, let them be the very thing that motivates us to cry out to God for his help. And the scripture tells us, if we draw near to God, He will draw near to us. 
And I sincerely believe that making a habit of inviting God to work in our lives will make a difference. It will make a difference in our lives. It will make a difference in our families. It will make a difference in our community. Let's pray. Father, again, we thank you. Thank you that you want to do your work in our lives so that we might know you better and that you might receive all the glory. Help us, we pray, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.